You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Exodus chapter 17. If you were with us last week, uh, you'll remember that we were uh, discussing once again the children of Israel and their needs for water. They leave the oasis that they find themselves in Exodus 16 enjoying, and they venture out in Exodus 17 at the Lord's leading, and they find themselves in a, in a state of want once again where they don't have any water. And uh, we talked about how God provided water for them last week, um, but we talked specifically about how we want to see the everyday challenges of life uh, as appropriate tests from God to increase our dependency on Him while resisting the temptation to test God about his own faithful goodness, since he's already proven himself sufficiently. We talked last week about how it's a, a chapter of testing, right? That, that, that the Lord intends to test his people because he has the right to do that, just like a teacher has the right to test uh, his or her students in a classroom. Uh, the teacher does not deserve to be tested. The teacher has already proven themselves, right? And, and yet the people of Israel turn the test on God. And so while God has put them in a position to be tested, to trust him more, they want to start asking questions of him, right? Like they want to start testing him. And so they're asking questions like, uh, will you give us water to drink? Will you, uh, or why have you brought us here to kill us? Um, or is the Lord among us or not, right? Like they're, they're questioning his provision. They're questioning his presence. Like, are you really here? Or have you brought us to to experience evil? Like, have you, have you brought us to a point to where we won't experience your provision? Um, and, and we said that really, that, that the Lord is the one doing the testing, and that the real questions aren't, will he give them water or not? It's, will they see that they need him more than they need anything else? It's not, why did he bring them there to kill them? It's, will we embrace the fact that he saved us with a purpose of sanctifying us, that he brings us through hard times to grow us in our faith. And uh, it's not about, is he with them or not? We know he's with them. He's, he's there by cloud and by fire. It's, will they abandon him when they feel like they deserve something different from him? And so I challenged you because the name of the place that we found them in last week was Rephidim, and that means a place of rest. And yet it's a place where there's no water. It's not a place where you would really think of as a good rest stop. Just like the place that my family stops on the way down to the beach uh, a rest area that used to offer free orange juice. It no longer offers free OJ. And so it's not uh, what you would consider a great rest stop anymore. Um, Rafidim was not a great resting place unless you're trusting in the one who provides the rest, right? So it's not about the comfort they were enjoying. It's really about the comforter. And so we talked about allowing times of want and times of uncertainty and times of waiting to be a time when we can rest because of what we know about the Lord, that Rafidim becomes a place of rest for them because they can trust in the Lord. Even though the provision is not apparent right away, they can rest knowing that it will come. I challenged you last week in saying that for me, the summer should be a time of rest as I step away from work, and yet I've been tempted this summer to find restlessness because we're in a season where my family needs to find a house. We don't have one. And I told you last week, I'm in a season where I need to find a Bible teacher and didn't have one, right? And so I'm kind of thinking, man, when is the Lord going to provide these things? Because it seems impossible. The housing market's not great right now. It's mid-July and all the teachers are hired. And yet I confessed to you last week that we found our, 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 um, we have found ourselves in this spot before. Like I've needed a house before in a bad housing market and the Lord has provided. I've just last year needed a teacher in mid-July, 
and the Lord provided. And so I told you I was fighting to find rest in knowing that God will provide in the right time. Um, And it was a really cool week for me because this time last year, there were no prospects on the table for a Bible teacher. And a week later, like we've hired somebody that checks every box that I had given to the Lord. I was like, Lord, like we need this. This is a crucial position for our school. Like we got to have this. Like these are things that we just need. And I I didn't tell you last week, like, hey, we're desperate for a Bible teacher so that I could come back this week and be like, hey, here's a really cool like application point, um, you know, and kind of amaze you. Like I had nobody last week, like nobody on the table. In fact, I spent last week afternoon scheduling time with my administrative staff for last Monday. I said, you got to come in. We got to meet. We got to talk about a backup plan in case the Lord doesn't provide in the ways that I'd like for him to we got to have another plan. And so we met for a couple hours last Monday, uh, basically came up with a plan where I was going to do it. Um, and I told him, I said, I want the Lord to provide, but if he doesn't, maybe he's going to give me the capacity to be able to do this until he does provide down the road. And so we broke from lunch. The plan was for me to do it. And uh, I had reached out to some pastors in the area who I trust and said, hey, here's a need, but I mean, people have done that to me before, and I don't typically take that very serious. I'm just like, oh, yeah, if I hear of somebody, I'll let you know. But this particular pastor, um, John Crotz, who's at Faith Bible Church, which is a like-minded church, and we've had a great relationship with him over the years, um, he reached out to me Tuesday morning. He said, I think I have your guy. He said, "Um, this guy's been working uh, for my brother who pastors a church in Alaska. Um, he graduated from John MacArthur Seminary, and he's been a youth pastor, and he stepped away, ironically, from his church almost the exact week that the Bible position opened up for us at Trinity. And so he didn't become available until we really needed a, a, a position filled at Trinity. Um, and then he spent the month of June trying to work it out where he could stay in Virginia where he's been. So he was exploring Bible schools up there, Christian schools, and they were telling him, we've already hired all of our teachers. And he said, uh, when we first talked on the phone this week, he's like, I reached a point where I wasn't sure how God was going to provide me a job because all the Christian schools had their Bible teachers for the year. And I said, well, dude, I reached a point this week where I wasn't sure I was going to find a Bible teacher because all the Bible teachers have found jobs at Christian schools by this point. And so we began a dialogue this week, and it was just really cool to see God work and move. And by Thursday evening, I'd made an offer, and by Friday morning, he had accepted. And I share that with you because I don't want these discussions in the Old Testament to feel so abstract that there's no direct application for how this works in our life today, right? God didn't have to provide a Bible teacher for us this week. Um, And yet he did. But I'll tell you, I don't think that the overall goal in my life was for God to provide a Bible teacher. I think it was a test for me as to will I trust him to provide in the best ways possible. And I don't think I reached the point until that lunch meeting with my staff this week that I was content if God didn't provide. Like I had reached a point where I was like, okay, if if God wants me to do this and he doesn't want to provide the ways that I want him to, I'm okay with that. And it was like, at that point, the test was over. Like, hey, I've reached a point where I can trust my God and I can be content with him, even if he doesn't provide here, that he said, okay, now it's time to connect you with the person who's going to do this job. And so it was just really cool to see the Lord working and moving in that way. Um, And I wanted to share that with you. 
uh, because I want that to be a means of encouragement to you because there may be seasons of uncertainty that you're in right now, seasons of waiting that you're in right now, and you're praying and asking God to provide, and you're waiting on him. And, and I think the Lord wants us to reach a point where we can find rest in the midst of restless type circumstances, that we can say, you know what, I'm going to find rest in him. We see more discussion around this topic in verse 8 of chapter 17 today. And I want to read to you our text this morning. It says in verse 8, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overcame, overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Our summary sentence for today. Our rest is not defined by our level of comfort, but by the power of our comforter, giving us reason to find rest, even when under the greatest attacks, because we can trust that our God is always fighting for our victories. Our rest is not defined by our level of comfort, but by the power of our comforter, giving us reason to find rest, even when under the greatest attacks, because we can trust that our God is always fighting for our victories. For our kids, we can find rest with God because he always fights for his people. I mean, think about where we're still at. We're still at Rephidim. We're still at the place of rest a place that has not had water, and now it's a place where Israel experiences its very first attack from somebody not named Egypt. I mean, this is not a rest stop you would want to go to again on a journey. I mean, there's no water there, and there's people that, that fight you there, and yet this is a place of rest for God's people. This place of rest becomes a place of battle, and yet as this battle plays out, we can see why Israel can find rest in the midst of it. They can, it can remain a place of rest because the banner of the Lord, as we see at the end of this text, is still flying high. So far, Israel has had attacks come from within, these, these personal needs and these personal doubts. Now it's coming from the outside as the enemy begins to attack God's people. What we're seeing throughout the rest of Exodus is how the wilderness is being used as a school that God's going to use to teach his people Right? We've already seen these tests and these lessons that he's going through with them, these important lessons about life with him. Right now we're in lesson one, which is how to survive with God. Right? So we've seen like how to trust him for daily provisions. Now we're going to see how to trust him in the midst of daily attacks, how to survive with God. As we continue through Exodus, we're going to see how to live with him and live for him when he gives the law. Right? He's going to give instructions about how to be obedient to him. And then lastly, we're going to see lesson three, how to worship him as the temple and the sacrifices are instituted. But right now we're still in survival mode. How do we survive and trust God for our daily needs? The key lesson that I think has to be learned by us as we look back 
thousands of years ago into these stories is that we have to learn um, to be prepared for hardship. And that's something that we've been talking about over the past few weeks. To be prepared for hardship, that's half the battle, is being prepared for these things. Think about how Israel's complaints and their fears demonstrate they weren't anticipating these ongoing struggles happening, right? So like when they don't have food or they don't have water, they immediately start to say, oh God, you've abandoned us, you've drug us out here to kill us, like you're not going to provide for us. It's as though they, they have no anticipation of hardships coming. One of the things that I hope we learn as a church family coming through this series is to anticipate hardships, to believe that hardships are coming and they're not going to stop until Jesus comes back. Because if we do get into that mindset that, heart, that mindset that hardships are coming, then we're far more prone to be set up to trust him versus complaining against him. We've seen these lessons being taught for how to trust him for food and water. Now it's how to trust him when the enemy attacks this healthy faith community that God's trying to build in the wilderness, right? This people of his, he's teaching them to rely upon his power, his power as this new enemy presents itself, not the Egyptians, right? This new people group that comes, he wants them to trust his power once again. This is the only battle that we're going to see in the book of Exodus. It's not the only battle, obviously, that the children of Israel fight, but it is the only one in the book of Exodus. Who are these people that are represented here. Well, the, the, the name of the people is listed as the name of their father, Amalek. It's the Amalekites that are talked about here. This is an individual who descends from Esau. He's the grandson of Esau. Um, you'll remember from our time in Genesis that, that tension that existed between Jacob and Esau um, as brothers uh, and how that, that tension continued to exist years later as Esau is the father of nations as well. And those nations will come up against Israel and fight against Israel. These descendants of Esau, these Amalekites, are known as an attacking people, a plundering type people in Scripture. They're nomadic, uh, meaning that oftentimes they're moving around. They uh, are fully invested in like camels. They've domesticated camels. They use camels in their army. It's a very threatening presence. Um, they're out in the wilderness, they're out in the desert, they're moving around, and they're, they're to be feared, right? For our Star Wars fans, they're kind of like the sand people in, in Star Wars. I mean, they're a threatening presence that they kind of live in the wilderness and are, and are, and are an ominous presence that, that are looking to attack and to plunder the people of God. And they represent what we see throughout Scripture, right? This, this, this biblical theology that we see throughout Scripture is what takes place in the book of Genesis, that when, when Satan tempts Eve and Adam and they fall into sin, and there's that discussion that takes place about the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, right? And God promises there's going to be ongoing division with sin, that there's going to be those who are the, the seed of the serpent and those who are the seed of the woman that God preserves, that remnant, right? So all through Scripture, we see God preserving a people, his seed, and the world attacking that seed, Right? So the seed of the serpent here rises up against the seed of Eve once again. This is just the next in line of those wanting to wage war to stop God's plans. Satan had been using the Egyptians. Well, now the Egyptians are gone, right? Like that army has been decimated. Now a new army is, 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 is risen up to attack God's people, to try to thwart his plans. And God's going to have to deliver his people once again. Let's jump in and see a, a few points this morning. Number one, prepare for attacks when vulnerable. We need to be prepared for attacks when vulnerable. 
We said that, that half the battle is anticipating hardships, right? And oftentimes the enemy will capitalize on times when we are vulnerable, right? When we're, when we're weary, when we're, we're not at our best. Those are times when God, when, when, when God is preparing us to learn lessons, but it's also time when the enemy sees an opportunity to attack, an opportunity to strike. Now, we don't see that here in our text today, this idea of vulnerability. But if you jump ahead to Deuteronomy chapter 25, towards the end of Moses's life, as he's looking to pass things on to Joshua, who will be the successor, in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17, we're going to talk about, once again, the need to remember. It's found for us in Exodus 17. Don't forget this victory that God just gave you over the Amalekites. Moses, years later, will call them to remember this once again. In verse 17 of Deuteronomy 25, it says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary. You were cut off, he cut off your tail. Those who were lagging behind you, he did not fear God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you and the land that the Lord your God is giving you for inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. What are we told here? We're told that, man, the children of Israel had just come through a time of testing and they were weary from it. They're tired. They're, they're exhausted. They, they are spent in the midst of only being gone from Egypt for a few weeks, a few months, right? They, they are spent. They are weary. They are not at their best. And boom, that's when the enemy wants to attack. They're vulnerable. And Moses says, remember when they attacked us, we were weary, we were vulnerable, we were tired. And oftentimes when we're in that state today, that's when the enemy loves to attack us as well, to cast doubts and questions into our hearts and minds about our faith and about the Lord and his, his provision for us. Right? We have to be prepared that when we find ourselves feeling vulnerable, that's when the enemy will often attack. It's during the times of weariness that the enemy loves to try to seize control of our hearts and minds. Israel most likely would have been viewed as a threatening presence for the Amalekites. And because they're vulnerable, this becomes an opportunity for them to be an easy target. The enemy will often attack during times of weariness. But number two, the enemy will often attack during times of provision too. Thinking about why did the Amalekites attack here? Well, Israel's a threatening presence. They're vulnerable. These people don't fear God, so they're ready to attack God's people. But think about what Israel has just received from God, right? It's not just in times of weariness that oftentimes the enemy attacks. It's in times of provision where where the enemy would love to distract us from giving worship to God and go ahead and move us right into our next trial. And so they've just been provided by God this great uh, provision of water in a place of rest where provision and rest had been dormant at best. At some point, Rephidim was a place of rest, and it kind of phased out from that. It was no longer providing water, and so it wasn't a valued place probably. Well, now Israel's occupying it, Word probably is spreading, hey, there's water at Rephidim again. Like there's gushing water at Rephidim. This is a valuable place once again. So more than likely, these people of the desert want to seize control of this area where God has provided. 
whether it's times of weariness or times of, of provision where the Lord has been faithful, the enemy will use both to attack us to try to steer our attention away from him, to try to put our focus and attention once again on the uncertainties of life. And the Amalekites serve that purpose here. Will Israel trust the Lord with this new threat, with this new bad guy who has shown up? Will Israel trust the Lord in his provision? We need to be prepared for these type of attacks, right? You've maybe found victory this past week. The Lord has provided in my own life, but we start a new week this week. New threats, new trials, new challenges. Have we learned from this past week? Have we learned from the test that we were given this past week to trust him more? And will we trust him better in the coming days? Prepare for attacks, particularly when you feel vulnerable. Number two, persevere in fighting and praying when attacked persevere in fighting and praying when attacked. Notice the text tells us that Amalek and his people come up and fight with Israel at Rephidim, at this place of rest. This threat presents itself. So Moses says to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him. He fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And then we see what, what maybe is familiar to us from, from old Sunday school lessons or old children's stories, how this battle plays out, right? Like you've got Joseph and the, or Joshua and the army of Israel fighting in the valley. And then you've got Moses and these, these two individuals, Aaron and Hur, who are up on the hilltop. And, and they're doing battle as well, but it's more of a spiritual type battle. Right? And then you've got this physical battle that's playing out in the valley below. And, and as Moses has his hands cast towards heaven, and I believe it's a picture of, of praying and crying out to God for his provision, right? When he's in that state, well, there's, there's victory being found by Joshua and the, and the army. But then as those arms begin to drop, as he begins to grow weary in the midst of his praying, the text tells us that Amalek and, and the Amalekites begin to find victory over the children of Israel. And so Aaron and her start to, 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 to game plan. How can we keep his hands raised, right? Like, how can we keep him in a posture of, of submission to God? And so they sit him down and they prop him up and they're holding his hands, his hands gripping that staff, which would have been a, a picture of, of God and God's provision for the people. That's the narrative that's playing out before us. How does it speak to us from a spiritual side of things, though? Like, what, what do we see and, and learn and take away from from this narrative that we're looking at. I think first off, we can see, number one, the Lord calls us to be actively working to carry out his plans. The Lord calls us to be actively working to carry out his plans. Moses calls upon Joshua to select able men to engage in warfare. Now, notice how this is different than what they were called to do when Egypt was threatening and kind of uh, closing in on them prior to them at the Red Sea, right? Like, what does the Lord tell them? He says, you stand and you watch as the Lord delivers you, right? He doesn't tell Moses, hey, get with Joshua and get Joshua to get a group of people and y'all go fight the Egyptians and I'll give you this victory. There he just says, hey, you stand back and watch and you watch the Lord deliver you. Now, this new threat shows up. He says, hey, we're going to form an army, and we're going we're to battle back, and we're going to fight. 
right? And we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna seek to defeat this threat that's coming to our life. I think it pictures the difference in God saving us and redeeming us and then calling us into the process of sanctification. A lot of commentators pointed out how, like with the Egyptians, God is saving them, He's redeeming them as His people, right? There's no effort on our part in salvation, just like there was no effort on the Israelites' part to be saved from Egypt, right? They're completely released by God's authority and God's power. He works the plagues. He hardens Pharaoh's heart. He entices the Egyptians to come out. The Red Sea crashes in and kills that army. Like it's all God working and delivering and saving them from their slavery to Egypt, Just like our salvation, where God works and moves and saves, it's none of us. We're not participating in our salvation. And yet once he saves them from Egypt and sets them on this course of going to the promised land, he starts to actively call them into participation with him in carrying out his plans. Much like how the New Testament tells us to what? Work out our salvation with fear and trembling, right? Now that we are saved, we're called to good works, right? We don't, we don't get saved by praying. We don't get saved by getting baptized or taking the Lord's Supper. Like there's not a, there's not a list of things that we do to earn our salvation. We don't, we don't participate in our salvation, but God does call us to participate in our sanctification, right? There's things that we're called to do. We're to, we're to assemble together with believers, right? We're, to, we're not to forsake the assembling of, of ourselves together. No, we're to gather together. We're to exhort one another, so that we're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Just like Joshua is called to actively fight against this enemy, we too are called to fight this week, to fight for obedience to the Lord, to fight to trust him, to fight against the temptations that we'll face this week. That's the difference here. Like one, they're told to just watch and just see how God saves. And then this next situation, they're told to, to get involved in it, to be a part of it, to jump in and to fight as God gives the victory. We're called to work out our salvation in the New Testament in the same way. The Lord calls us to be actively working to carry out his plans. But note too, number two, that the Lord calls us to be passively praying to carry out his plans as well. There's this part where we still rely upon the Lord to do it, right? We're we're, we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling, all the while trusting that he is faithful he who called you, he will surely do it, right? So, so we don't leave today saying, I got a tough task. I got, I got to grow my faith this week um, or else I'm going to fall short of the glory of God and, and I'm going to fall away like Hebrews talks about, right? So we don't leave today feeling this pressure of, man, I got to do everything this week to keep myself saved. No, like the Lord tells us he starts the good work, he finishes the good work. But we also don't get to leave today saying, can't wait to see how the Lord just grows my faith this week. I don't plan to do anything, though. Like, I don't plan to participate in that at all. No, the Lord calls us into that participation to grow and to to see these tests as an opportunity to learn to trust Him more and more. And so there's this passive piece where we do get to trust that the Lord is going to carry out His plans in our life. Moses is that picture for us. Joshua's down battling in the valley. Moses is this, this calm, restful presence on the hilltop that is giving assurance to the people of Israel that this battle is the Lord's. He positions himself on the hill as a visible presence where victory will ultimately be won. He's viewed as interceding through prayer for what's happening below. 
And Aaron and her are the support system, keeping Moses engaged with God throughout the battle. And these raised hands are a picture of the appeal to God to work and to move and to do. That staff representing God's presence, his promises, his power, and ultimately his provision. As the people fight, they're meant to see the comforter as the backdrop of their warfare, right? As you see this thing play out, what what is the, the picture that Moses wants to leave with the people? That the Lord is our banner. The Lord is our rallying point is really what it's saying there. Right? So in military terms, the banner uh, was kind of the, the picture of the, the, the army's identity. And that banner was a sign that we haven't lost, that there's still hope. I mean, when we sing about the star-spangled banner, the picture there was that as they, they looked into the night sky, because the flag was still flying, that we hadn't fallen right? Like that's the picture here is that the Lord is our banner. And as long as he's flying high, we don't have to worry about defeat. Like we don't have to worry that the enemy's going to gain a foothold in our life and find victory over our faith. Moses is that presence where he is, he's kind of the visible picture of God for them. And as they fight, they see that comforting picture, that backdrop, their banner, the Lord is fighting for them. What happened in the valley was shaped by what happened on the hillside. God is to be viewed as the difference here, not Moses' arms. God is the one who's different here. He's the one who makes a difference in the valley, and our prayers demonstrate our belief in that, right? Joshua certainly gains victory over the Amalekites, and Moses' arms are outstretched and praying to God and interceding for this to happen. And then when that starts to, when that starts to drop, that's when you start to see the enemy's victory, Right? God is the difference in this, in this battle. God is the difference, and, and we show that we believe he's the difference in our own struggles and our own challenges by the ways that we pray to him, right? There's a picture where we're actively involved. So like when I met with my teachers this week, I felt like, okay, I can't just continue to, to sit back and, and only wait for God to do something. I've got to move forward because God has entrusted me with, with this responsibility as an administrator. We got school starting. We got to have a plan. Right? And if the plan is me, so be it. All the while, I'm still praying, Lord, if, if, if you will provide, that's what we ultimately want here. We don't want me to have to do it. I don't want to have to do it. My wife doesn't want me to have to do it. My kids are going to ultimately not want me to have to do it because it's going to impact us. Right? So I'm, 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 I'm passively praying, Lord, do what you need to do here. But then there's also this piece where I'm like, okay, I got to work this out. Right? The Lord has called me to be involved in his plan. I got seventh graders by the droves that are going to be in these classrooms, and there's got to be a teacher for it. So I got to work out this plan all the while trying to learn to trust him to be the great provider for it. He's our banner. He flies high, and we can trust that he's working and moving even as we fight. A lot of the commentators talked about fighting like Joshua, praying like Moses. And I think that's certainly application from this, but we're going to come back to that idea at the end of the sermon. And I think there's a deeper application that we can see from this too. But certainly there's this picture, fight like Joshua, praying like Moses. We must do what God's called us to do while fully relying on his power to do it. I think you see both pictures there, both leaders in Israel. One is fighting 
actively trying to carry out God's plan. The other is praying and requesting and interceding. God, carry out your plan. Hopefully you can see that that's the picture that's supposed to be true of your life too. We actively carry out our faith while we're passively praying and trusting God to carry out our faith. Think about the Ephesians passage, right? Ephesians chapter six, that talks about spiritual warfare, right? Like if I just asked you, hey, talk to me about spiritual warfare. Talk to me about the armor of God. Hopefully you would remember some of the things that we talked about when we went through Ephesians verse by verse and we hit chapter six, right? But even if you can't remember the sermons, most of you have a pretty good working knowledge and understanding of Ephesians chapter six and you could start to spout out um, pieces of the armor, right? The helmet of salvation, right? The belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness. Like you can start to talk about these things and these are things that we need to equip ourselves with to make sure that we're fighting well as believers, that we're fighting temptation, we're growing in our faith. But oftentimes we lose sight of the fact that that whole chapter culminates with verse 18. So after all these pieces of armor are mentioned and how we stand strong and stand firm, Verse 18 says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Like it all pushes us to an attention about prayer, right? That prayer is how we fight. Prayer is how we, we operate and move and, and find victory in our life is that we're praying to the banner. We're praying to the one who gives us the victory, right? There's certainly an aspect of us equipping ourselves with the, with the armor to fight, just like Joshua fought in this battle. But there's also this picture of prayer that Moses is a picture for us of, that we pray for God. We pray for God to work and move in our life as well. Prepare for attacks when you're vulnerable. Persevere in fighting and praying when attacked as well. And then number three, praise him and remember him when victorious. Praise him and remember him when victorious. When God works and moves and provides, man, we need to remember it. Aaron and her prop Moses up. They hold his hands up. They keep the, they keep the, the visible banner of the spiritual Lord who's working and fighting for them. They keep it intact. Verse 13, Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. They find the victory. They get the victory over this threat. Verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. He says, write this as a memorial in a book. Write this down. Recite it in the ears of Joshua. Why? Because he's going to be the successor. He's going to need to remember this too. Like, y'all remember this. Remember what happened today. And there's a promise attached to it. Because this hasn't happened yet at this point. That he's going to utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Remember what's happened today. And remember it in the future when you face this enemy once again. Number one, find ways to raise your worship by recording present victories that he wins for you. Find ways to raise your worship, right? Like the Lord has raised himself as a banner and he gives victory to his people. We ought to raise our worship to him when we see those provisions, when we see those victories. God says, remember this, write it down, recite it in the ears of those who were coming next, that this happened. 
so they can trust that it will happen again. Moses commanded to record this victory in writing. It's, it's one of the first mentions of Scripture being written down and preserved for the next generation. People need to raise their worship in response to this victory. He builds an altar of appreciation, right? This isn't an altar of sacrifice because of their sins. It's an altar of appreciation. He calls it, the Lord is my banner. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. It's a military context that we've already talked about. It's where you regroup. It's where you rally. It's where you get your instructions. The idea being that when under attack, we're called to rally towards him. Psalm chapter 60, verse 4. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 60, verse 4. You have set up a banner for those who fear you, that they may flee to it from the bow. You have set up a banner for those who fear you. They may flee to it from the bow. Song of Solomon talks about the banner that he stretches over us being a banner of love, right? That's, what, that's what's flying high for us to, to flock to, to flee to. When we find ourselves facing trials and challenges and difficulties, we run to him, not away from him. Find ways to raise your worship by recording present victories that he wins for you. Like, don't let the enemy detract you from giving the glory and honor to God. I can tell you, like, like I've been giving glory and honor to God this week and the people that I've been trying to tell. Like, this, this provision of a Bible teacher, like, it's not me whatsoever. Like, I exhausted all my efforts. Like, I, 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 any attempt that I could get to, give, to have credit for finding somebody, I mean, those, those were exhausted long ago, right? For God to work and orchestrate and move in such a way to provide somebody of this caliber, right? Like that, that's the Lord. And he gets all the glory and the honor and the praise for that. That he's working and moving in a family's life in Virginia without my knowledge of it. He's working and moving in a situation here without this guy's knowledge of it. And then for us to cross paths and it's like, man, and like we're both in our initial conversation, like this feels like the Lord. Like, like this feels like the Lord. And I even was telling Tyson, we went and played frisbee golf the other night and I was just talking to him and updating him and telling him I said I said if this is not of the Lord like this feels like a dirty trick like like I don't know what the Lord would be doing if this is not of the Lord but this like just feels so much like the Lord has worked and moved in this I want to give him all the glory and honor for that um, I, I wanted to share that this morning so that it's preserved on our podcast, so that it's heard by your ears, so that next summer when I stand up here and say, hey, pray like we're really in need of a teacher, like you can be like, well, the Lord's done that before. Like, like you don't have to be restless about that. You can be restful. The Lord has done that before. Like I want that recorded in the, in the archives of our podcast so that when somebody visits our church down the road and, and hears this, like it'll be an encouragement to them that, hey, the Lord provides. The Lord provides. He's that type of God. He's still that type of God. He was that way in the Old Testament. He's still that way in the New Testament. Number two, find ways to remember past victories to keep you resting in future victories. Find ways to remember past victories to keep you resting in future victories. We need to record God's present victories in some form or fashion so that when they become past victories, we remember them and we rest in him when we're in need of future victories. Think about how this plays out with the Amalekites. God gives them an initial victory here. He says, hey, I'm promising you I'm going to deal with these people completely. Like, they do not have any power over you. Like, they are, they are defeated. 
Joshua as the successor, he's going to need to remember this because more dealings with the Amalekites are coming and they need to remember what he did last time. Like I said, there's going to be more times when I need teachers and I need to remember God's provision in times of needing teachers to trust him when the next need arises. He's reminding Israel to look to him anytime they're under attack because they remember what he did previously for them. This blotting out of the Amalekites, it's going to come later and it perhaps comes later than it should have because they don't remember. If you read in Numbers chapter 13, verses 26 through 33, it's the passage where the Israelites finally make it to the brink of the promised land and they send the spies in and the spies come back, right? And Joshua and Caleb, they seem to have no fear about what they see in the promised land, right? Because they're like, hey, God's given us victories already. Let's go get this. Like he's promised this to us. But do you know what the other spies come back and say? They come back and they say, there's Amalekites in there and we can't beat them. They forget. What do you mean we can't beat them? Like, like we've already beaten them and God's already promised their ultimate defeat. They're like, no, we can't. Like there's Amalekites in there. Like we, we got it. We, this isn't, this isn't, God's not going to do this for us. And let us not be like that. Let us not be ones who forget the provisions of God, find ourselves in need once again, and think, God's not going to do it here. They forgot. And the Amalekites linger longer than they should have. The goal for defeating the Amalekites should have motivated Saul to dispose of them properly. It's the Amalekite people, the king of the Amalekites, that Saul doesn't kill. It's Agag. Remember, God says, you kill all of them. Samuel says, you kill them all. You don't take any of their stuff. Like, you eradicate them. What does Saul come back and say? We kept some of the stuff, and we kept their king alive. That's like, don't you understand, like, my purpose for these people? It's to get rid of them. David's still fighting them in 2 Samuel chapter 8. Not because God can't defeat them. It's because his people won't trust him. They won't trust him for the provision of the defeat of them. It's interesting the way this passage closes here in chapter 17. Moses builds this altar, calls it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. There's, there's a lot of disagreement amongst commentators as to what this saying is, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. There's some commentators who think this is in reference to the Amalekites that they put a hand upon the throne of the Lord by attacking God's people. And the response is, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. There's other commentators who think, no, the hand upon the throne of the Lord is in reference to Moses crying out to the throne of the Lord. That's why he's our banner. That's why we found victory. I'm here to tell you, it doesn't really matter which one it is because they're both true, right? They're both true. Because Hebrews, what is Hebrews... Um, Chapter 4, verse 16 say, talks about the throne of the Lord. Talks about what we find there. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can certainly put our hands towards the throne of the Lord when we need his help and trust that it'll come. We can also trust that if anybody raises a hand to the throne of the Lord in opposition, that God will deal with them. He'll deal with them justly, and he will deal with them thoroughly. 
And that's the promise and assurance given to God's people here, is that the enemies that may come and attack the faith of the people of God, God's at war with them, and he will remain at war with them until they're completely defeated. Here's three points of application truth that I want you to remember from this passage today. Number one, God's victories over our hardships must be remembered so that we trust him better when the next hardship comes. Remember his victories over your hardships so that you'll remember the next time one comes to trust him better. Like, let him build that case of trust. Remember how he's been providing for you so that the next time you need his help, you trust him even better. Number two, Jesus is our ultimate warrior and intercessor who never loses and never grows weary, right? Like I told you, we can look at this and say, hey, be like Joshua, fight like Joshua, and be like Moses and pray like Moses, right? And those are, those are certainly good applications. But let us not lose sight of the fact that Joshua and Moses are shadows and figures that point us to Jesus, right? Joshua is not the best warrior because he loses at times in this battle, right? And he'll lose at Ai down the road when he fails to, to acknowledge the guidance and direction of the Lord, and he's defeated in a battle, right? We fight like Joshua, certainly. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but you know who's the, the ultimate fighter for us? It's Jesus, because he never loses, right? He's also the ultimate intercessor. So even as we strive to, okay, I'm going to leave today, I'm going to try to be faithful to pray and to, to, to ask for the Lord's provision in my life. But the scriptures also tell us that it's the Lord who intercedes for us, right? Um, Hebrews chapter uh, 7, verse 25, this is the, the comfort for all of us who fall asleep at times when we're praying. Consequently, verse 25, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's what Jesus does. The resurrected Jesus lives to make intercession for us and he never falls asleep and his arms never get tired. His arms never get tired of interceding for us. Right? He's always interceding to us for us to the Father. He's the ultimate intercessor. So let's remember that. Yes, we want to fight like Joshua. We want to pray like Moses. But we really want to lead today saying, you know what? Jesus is the better version of both of those. Right? Those two individuals point us to Jesus who fights our enemies, intercedes for us. So we can know that we find victory this week because it's not about how well we fight or how well we pray this week. Again, it goes back to Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Number three, God will always fight for his people by remaining at war with those who would seek to hinder our journey home. And he's committed to bringing Israel to the promised land. And anybody that gets in the way, they're now the enemy of God. And we can trust that God's always fighting for us as his people too. He's always fighting for us. What an encouragement, what a hope for us today. Hardships are going to come, yes. Challenges, trials, difficulties, they're going to keep coming by the droves. God's going to keep fighting for us. He's going to keep fighting for our faith. He's going to keep fighting to make sure that our faith finishes this journey, right? He's the author and finisher of it. We can praise him as our banner this morning, that while we may be struggling, we may be flopping around, and we may find ourselves weary and feel under attack, but we keep looking to the banner, and that banner is not wavering at all. He still stands strong. He's still our provider. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this passage and what it reminds us of and what it points us to today, Lord. God, we're thankful for the ways that you've provided, even in the past weeks and months for our people, 
Lord, I'm thankful for the way that you provided for me specifically this week and for our Trinity community. Lord, we were in desperate need of someone coming in and teaching Bible to our eighth graders this year, Lord, and you've provided that. You worked and moved and you directed. God, I pray that that you will strengthen my faith for the next time a need like this arises, that I'll remember faithfully how you provided. Lord, I pray that this this account in my own life would strengthen the faith of all here today. Lord, that they would be reminded of how you have been faithful to provide for them in the past too, so that when they face whatever challenges and needs they may have this week, they would trust you better. They trust you for future victories because they remember your past victories. Help us not to be like the Israelites and, and forget the victory over the Amalekites see more Amalekites in our future and think, oh, we can't, we can't win this. God can't come through here. Lord, help us to remember that Jesus is the ultimate fighter. He is the ultimate intercessor. He never grows tired and weary. Lord, keep fighting for our faith until Jesus comes back. In your name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.